It's, a, it's an amazing time of year. Advent is a time when the world seems to soften a bit, doesn't it? It really is, and it's beautiful. Even all the movies that we've been watching with my kids, um, you know, the Grinch, his little hardened heart grows, softens, and grows three sizes. And little Kevin, who got left home alone and thought it was like, you know, his dream to be left alone from his annoying family, only to find out that he couldn't wait to be reunited with his family. Um, his heart was softened. It was warm. And even the commercials that we see. I got a little teary-eyed watching a Publix commercial this week. <laughs> like, what in the world? It's like, you know, but it, it's a time where the world just seems to reorient and recenter and remind us what really matters. And actually, that is what uh, Advent means. It means anticipation and arrival of a significant event. And that is, that is what we do in this season after the hustle, the bustle, the grind, going hard, setting goals, going after them, running hard all year long. It is this gift that we have in this time of year to take a breath, to pause, to reorient, to remember, and to anticipate the arrival of something significant. Other synonyms for Advent are have often been the metaphor of the dawn. One of my favorite things to do when I go to the beach, which is a place of restoration for me, is to get a cup of coffee and go out early in the morning and watch the sun rise over the ocean. The anticipation in my heart of, of, of watching it just creep up, creep up until it's there, and it reminds me of how small I am and how not in control I am of the world. And what a gift that can be to say, I lied down and I slept and I didn't do one thing to keep this earth spinning on its axis. <laughs> I cannot, but God, you can. And I can open my hand, my heart, my little tight clenched fist to you and trust you with it, right? And then, of course, the other big metaphor of Advent is birth. And that is what we celebrate, the birth of, of Jesus, uh, a friend of mine up on staff at Grace Snellville, Pat Sullivan. Um, Brookwood, where you at? If you know, you know. Um, just, just a little inside joke. Um, he, they just had their second baby, and it was a really difficult pregnancy. Uh, his wife found out about halfway through. There were some complications, and she spent weeks in the hospital on bed rest. And their little boy, Jones, two years old, was coming up to the hospital uh, multiple times a week to see his mom. He couldn't just wrap his little head or his heart around why mom couldn't come home. And so it was a long journey, and they entered into the anguish and the anticipation of the birth. And just last week, the little boy was born, and he's healthy. And mom and dad are filled with joy and filled with wonder. And so at this time of year in Advent, we turn our hearts, or at least we are invited to turn our hearts back to the anticipation, the wonder, just what Ben was talking about. What does this mean that God would come and be with us? And long before Jesus was kicking in Mary's belly, the whole earth was pregnant with anticipation of his arrival, even before the dawn of time. But seven, our scripture today, oh, by the way, if you need a Bible, Slip up your hands. We have some people who would love to put one in your hands uh, because we're about to turn to Isaiah 9 and read. So just slip up a hand if you need a Bible. 
and they'll be happy to get you on. But this passage is a familiar passage. You've probably read it many, many times, especially in the season of Advent. It was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I know it's not on the screen here, but it goes on to say, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Mm. Lord, I do pray that you would open our hearts to your word today. Your word is living and it is active, it is breathing. And it does possess the ability to open our hardened hearts and to rekindle wonder with us. And we pray that that is exactly what would happen in your name. Amen? So I want to talk to you today about this wonderful God. Uh, Old Testament scholars say that this is actually two names of God. That wonderful doesn't stand as an adjective for counselor, but that wonderful stands as a title and a name in and of itself. God is a God of wonders. He is a God who is full of wonder. And this Hebrew word is pele, and it is used, it's oftentimes translated in the Old Testament as miracles. It is always attributed to the unexplainable, mysterious move of God, it is never attributed to anything that a human does anywhere in the scriptures. It is always attributed to God, the God of wonder, the God of miracles, the mysterious, inexplicable, unexplainable intervention of God in the earth. This is who he is. He is wonderful. He is full of mystery and miracles. And I want to talk today in our time together about the wonder of his birth, the wonder of his words, and the wonder of his works. What is wonder and what keeps us from being filled with wonder? Just the um, Webster Dictionary defines wonder as this, a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, or inexplicable. Albert Einstein said this, the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom the emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. There's a poem called The Poem for Parenting, or actually it's called The Wonder of Parenting, uh, by William Martin that has really spoken to my heart in this season. It says this, Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. 
Such striving may seem admirable, but actually it's the way of foolishness. Help them instead find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand. And make the ordinary come alive for them. And the extraordinary will take care of itself. What a beautiful reminder of what we are to be about. And God the Father revealed by the Son, alive in us through the Spirit, is the most beautiful, unexpected, inexplicable mystery of wonder that there is. And to truly see Jesus. And if you're sitting in this room, it's because somewhere along your journey, you have caught a glimpse of him. And like me and like everyone else, you're piecing together the mystery of who this man, Jesus is, this God, man, who he is. But you've been touched by the mystery of him and the wonder of him. And wonder is the doorway to worship. But many Christians have lost their sense of wonder. And I confess that I've lost it many times on my journey with Jesus. Why do we do that? Some pretty obvious reasons are, as a society as a whole, we're distracted. (laughs) Right? And distraction keeps us from having our eyes open to wonder. Let me just read you some things you don't want to hear, some things you have heard a thousand times and you need to hear them a thousand more times. And it's about this little friend we all carry around with us, okay? Because I really do believe these are just little distraction devices that keep us, uh, that keep our attention away from living lives of wonder. Did you know that the average person picks up their phone? How, what would you say? is the average time a person picks up their phone every day. How many times? What'd you say? 500. Woo! Uh, That's a lot. (laughs) Uh, No. 58 is the average time that we pick up our phone. Um, But average screen time, unless you're, yes, I have one of those. Yes, uh, yes. Average screen time uh, is three hours and 15 minutes. Now, when you go into your screen and you look at screen time, it might be more than that. But you know it counts if you use Google Maps, if you're listening to music or whatever. That all counts. But actually, studies have shown people are literally engaging, meaning typing and swiping, uh, the average in America of three hours and 15 minutes. If you hit the four-hour mark, that is an estimated 2,600 individual touches of tapping, typing, and swiping. Can you wrap your head around that? 2,600 times, just like tap, 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 type, 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 swipe, swipe, swipe. Crazy, isn't it? Um, There was a study done, Harvard did a study, and um, found that 83% of people they studied had what was called the phantom phone sensation. (laughs) You don't even know what that is, but you know what that is. What, (laughs) What is that? Well, that, that's coming. If the, fa- the phantom phone sensation is my phone is actually not on me, but I feel like I'm getting a notification, right? Or maybe my phone is on me, and I'm like, oh, did it buzz? Oh, no, it didn't. Oh, wow. 
right? That like our neurological system is hardwired. We are basically cyborgs. And like, we, we just like, am I, does somebody need me? Is somebody a notification? Like, whoa, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Um, in the same study, they found that 73% of people had experienced misplaced phone anxiety, right? You know, also, by the way, this is the number one anxiety uh, and withdrawal is the number one indicator of addiction. People who are addicted to substance know they're indicated when they spend the majority of their time preoccupied thinking about when can I get my substance, right? And when we are misplaced our phones, you know that feeling like, oh, where, where is it? What? Like, I feel disconnected from the world, right? I am old enough that, I mean, I had to print out MapQuest. You remember that? <laughs> to drive somewhere. Like, I literally was, I was driving just last week somewhere, and I thought, how, how, in the, how, did, we, how did I survive? Because I am directionally challenged. Like, how, how did we do it before then? So technology obviously offers us so many great advancements and opportunities for genuine connection, but so much time for distraction. Yeah. And here's the thing I just want to leave with you. What it is is dopamine, Right? Dopamine is the distraction. It is the pleasure um, chemical within our bodies associated with reward. And neuroscientists have studied that when we are engaged in screen, and certainly, uh, you know, teenagers that are engaged in, like, high-intensity gaming, they've done brain scans, and the part of their neural pathways that are lighting up and firing are exactly the same for people who are on cocaine, and people who are doing, um, who are engaged in slot machines. And slot, in the world of gambling, slot machines is the most addictive form of gambling because it's directly hardwired into our pleasure-seeking reward, uh, you know, pathways. And so there's a term called long-term potentiation, which is the process, it, it strengthens frequently used connections in our brain cells called neurons by increasing the intensity at which they respond to a particular stimuli. So people who have studied slot machines have dialed in the exact amount of interaction someone needs to have to stay addicted. And they just think, one more pull of the slot and maybe I'll hit it big. And how many times are we like, you know, just a few more minutes swiping and I'll find that thing that's real exciting. Only to go, ugh, been there, done that, seen it all. Why did I just waste 20 minutes scrolling and swiping, right? So this is a phrase, of course, you maybe have heard the phrase attention economy. That the, the idea is that our attention that we can give toward anything is finite and very limited. And now um, marketers are going after the human attention economy because they know it is so limited. So they go to extremes to get our attention, the other day, I was pumping gas. I got out of the car, and I turned around, and something scared me, and it was this guy on a screen going, hi, welcome to pump, blah, blah, blah. We, we strive to make your, your time at the gas pump a very exciting time or something like that. I'm like, I don't need my time at the gas pump to be exciting. <laughs> like, I need my time at the gas pump to be quiet and alone. I've just been in the car with my three kids, you know? Like, I don't need you talking to me, and I definitely don't need you marketing to me. But I was curious about it, and I went home, and I looked it up. And uh, there's a 
there's a multi-million dollar business that exists to market to people at the gas pump. America's most engaging on-the-go video network is what they say. Um, and they say, our digital video network delivers at scale with premium content that grabs, grabs consumer attention during a moment that matters. I think if there's ever been a moment that didn't matter, it's me at the gas station. <laughs> like, what? But that's how finite and how little attention we have to give and Mark, it's a billion-dollar industry where people are trying to grab our attention, and we are dying of distraction. We are dying. Our souls are atrophying because of distraction. And I am the chief of sinners. Without wonder, we are bored, and boredom leads to cynicism, and cynicism is the cancer of our soul. When we become cynical, we become emotionally hardened. Nothing can penetrate our defense mechanisms. And we just go around unable to engage in the beauty and simplicity and wonder of godliness. So, back to three areas of wonder here. The wonder of his birth, the wonder of his words, the wonder of his works. The incarnation is the most inspiring mystery of our faith. There would be no teachings. There would be no miracles of Jesus. There would be no death. There would be no resurrection. There would be no ascension if there were not first an incarnation that God, the Godhead, we just sang about it, veiled in flesh, comes to us to be God with us. And it shows us a simple but profound truth about God, that God is comfortable coming into our mess. God is comfortable with a process. God could have come as an adult. He could have come just as a supernatural being on top of a mountain with thunder and lightning. And in fact, that's how he revealed himself in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, he didn't even come as a fully functioning adult. He came as a humble, needy, vulnerable babe who nursed at his mother's breast. God in the flesh to be God with us. And that is what we are called to, and that is what the season reminds us, that we are called to the with God life. Say that with me. We are called to the with not the for God life. And so many of us are just caught up in the for God life. I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for his glory. I'm doing this for his kingdom. And obviously, Faith without works is dead, Paul tells us. But if, we, if what we do for God is not flowing from what we have gotten with God, we will be either self-righteous in our pride or we will self-sabotage. We will burn out because we have been so fixated on being productive for God. And if anyone, if any being doesn't need us, me, to do anything for him, it's God. 
But when I am with him and I am living the abiding life, then fruitfulness is just natural. It comes with it. Um, I remember the, um, my son is 16. He's a junior. Like, we're planning college visits next in the new year. Like, it's, it's real. Like, the reality of my son is about to leave our home has never weighed more heavily on me. And it has exposed a lot of fear in me, truthfully. It's exposed sadness. Um, sometimes I find myself short with him, and I'm like, whoa, what's that about? Where's that coming from? Oh, because my time is limited, and I want to control him. Why do I want to control him? Because I'm afraid. <laughs> That's why. And so I've been doing a lot of thinking and remembering, and I remember the birth of our son, and um, it, it, it came upon us quick, very quick. Ten days early, my wife woke, up, woke me up at like five in the morning. She's like, hey, I've been up all night. I'm really uncomfortable. I feel like I might be, um, I'm having, I don't know what's going on. She had a little bit of spotting. So we called the doctor and they were like, hey, look, you're okay. This is common. Come on in. And they said these words, promise you you're not in labor. Don't worry. <laughs> you're not in labor. Literally, we're like, you, you, you don't even, don't, you don't need to grab a bag or do the things. Just come on in. We're just going to check you out. You're fine, but let's just have a look at you. We're like, okay, hop in the car. In the car, five minutes, her water breaks. Yeah, she's breathing. She's like, hey, you know, this is my first time, and they told me that there could be false labor pains, but this doesn't feel false. Like, this feels like, this feels real, you know? And I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm like, 10 and 2, baby. Uh, I'm driving to the hospital. Like, what is happening we walk in, um, you know, so her water had broken, so that was very obvious, but still the nurse was playing it real calm and cool, and she was like, yes, your water can break, and you're not actually to be without as far in labor as you think you are, and I mean, we're doing the breathing. I was like, I think, I, I think we are. She's like, calm down, honey. She gave me the look like, you ain't ever and you will never have give birth to a child, so you be quiet about, you know, whatever. <laughs> she gave me that kind of look. And then she walked in. She's like, sit down. We're just going to check you. So she checks her dilation, looks up at both of us. She's like, oh, my God, you're about to have this baby. I'm like, glad we're all on the same page now. Yeah. So could we do this? You know? And so they get us into a room, and it is progressing really, really quickly. And uh, from, from the time we left our house, so her water broke, and four hours later, we were holding our baby. That's really fast for our first baby, you know. Uh, in fact, before we left the hospital with our first baby, which, you know, I can't believe they, you, you know that feeling, first-time parents, they let you leave a hospital with the human being. It's like, what are we doing here? Um, yeah, they looked at me, and they were like, so this is very unusual to go into labor this quickly for the first one. So for the second one, um, they literally started telling me what to do if my wife, they were like, make sure she's in the back seat because she could like actually start birthing the baby before you get to the hospital. And I was like, I need you to stop right now. <laughs> I just, <laughs> one thing at a time, people, my whole world just got rocked, you know, but we were, we were in there in the room and the nurses were doing an amazing job. We had a, um, a doula, it was like a, you know, a birthing coach that was there with us, and um, she was like Yoda, you know. I, I was 
I was freaking out. She locked eyes with me and led me in this breathing thing, told me what I was going to do. I was like, did you just cast a spell on me? I don't know what happened, but it worked, you know. And sure enough, they were like, it's time to bring the doctor. And oh, you ladies, when it's, I mean, the lights came on and the apparatuses came out. I was like, is a film crew about to walk up in here? Like, what is going on? And, but it's the moment they're like, she's ready to push. Like, we are seeing the, the baby's head crowned. And the doctor's coming in, and we're ready to do this. And I will never forget this. This doctor walked in just so, like, casual. He was literally doing this with his teeth. He had been eating a cracker. He came in. <laughs> He's putting on his gloves like this. And that dude had crumbs on his upper lip. <laughs> Not even lying to you. I looked at my wife, who's like a rock star about to birth our baby, and I looked at this doctor, and I looked at the wife, and I looked at this doctor, and I opened my mouth, I was about to say, no way in the world you're about to deliver my son with crackers on your lips, buddy. <laughs> like, that ain't going to happen. But in the meantime of that, thankfully, God intervened, uh, and, he was, and the nurse was like, you know what, she's got a few more good pushes before she's ready to deliver the baby. So he was like, okay, and he left, and I was like, yeah, go clean your mouth, doctor. You know? <laughs> But I was later, I was struck by that and thought, oh, how often am I like that? Just here we are, the miracle of birth, the miracle of human existence. And, you know, it's just sort of like another day at the office. Let me eat my crackers and crumbs. And here, like the season of Advent is a time where we can, Jesus said, I am the bread who came down from heaven. I am manna. I am sustenance and nourishment for your soul. And in this season of Advent, we can turn and feast on the bread of life. And so often, I just settle for crackers and crumbs. Not present, not filled with wonder, with how God is at work right in front of my eyes. And so, God is inviting us to be awake and alive with wonder in this season. That's the wonder of his birth, God with us. The wonder of his words. Over 30 times the Bible talks of people being amazed and astonished at the words of Jesus. Just astonished at his wisdom, filled with wonder at his insights. That the disciples were amazed, the teachers of the law were astonished, the crowds were amazed, even Pilate was amazed with what Jesus said and what he didn't say. And the first thing God does in the scriptures is speak. He speaks to the chaos. The scripture says, in the beginning, the heavens and the earth, it was without form, right? Or it was void, which means void of order. Some translators even say it was like it was chaos. Things were misaligned. And God speaks to the chaos, to the void, to the lack of order, and he brings divine alignment. And he says, it is good. It is as I intended. It is as it should be. And God still speaks to our disordered soul. Most of us have good desires. You know, um, St. Augustine talked about this. We have good desires in the wrong order. We, We desire good things, but to the wrong degree. It's disordered within us. 
But when we come before God and we trust his counsel, when we let him speak to us, he, he brings alignment and order to our disordered desires. And it's a holy moment because sometimes his words console us and sometimes they convict us and sometimes they just confuse us. Right? But the same God who consoles us will also convict us. And when we make space to let his word speak to our disordered desires, bring order to our souls. One of my favorite, most consoling scriptures came at a dark, hard season in my life. And, you know, I've read the Gospels many, many times and somehow just didn't, this verse just never clicked with me. Um, Luke 12, 32, he says, Do not be afraid, my little sheep, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure to meet you in wonder and admiration and peace and conviction, if that's what you need. Right? Mm. And you know the story of Elijah? Elijah was in a desolate place of disorientation. He didn't know what was going on in Israel. He didn't know how God was at work and why he was allowing Jezebel to run rampant. He was confused, discouraged. And he, um, the Lord spoke to him and said, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for I am about to pass by. <laughs> it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face because he knew that no man could see God, the glory of God, and live like Moses had to hide himself. Um, Mother Teresa said, let us approach Christmas with an expectant hush rather than a last-minute rush. His whisper will reignite the flame of wonder. And to be totally honest with you, I feel like my flame of wonder in this season of parenting and living and is, is a little low. And I'm trusting that as I make space, my crowded, crammed, busy mind and heart, <laughs> that his gentle whisper will reignite the flame of wonder because it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And lastly, the wonder of his works. Uh, we have a few scriptures here I just want to share with you. And we're, close, we're landing the plane here. Um, Exodus fifteen eleven. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. That's that word, Pele. Psalm 77. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles, your wonders, your Pele of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. And then in verse 14 it says, because you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among Throughout these verses, the psalmist is over and over and over remembering, considering, and meditating on the words, on the miracles 
of God. Earlier, Psalm 77, 6, we don't have a slide for this, but I'll read it to you. Bless you. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart, and my spirit makes a diligent search. Wow. In the night, which is the picture, the awaiting, the anticipation, God, I feel lost. God, I feel disoriented. God, I know you have been mighty and at work in my life, but I don't know what you're doing now. In the, the night is the metaphor of the cloak of heaviness, the dark night of the soul. And he says, my spirit is making a diligent search to be reminded and to remember your goodness, your faithfulness, how you have worked mightily in my life. Then he goes on and he recounts the story of the Exodus, which remember, God told through the Torah, the the people of Israel, he said, this story, these words, these commands, write them on your doorposts. And you go in, as you go out, he said, carry them, let them be written not on tablets of stone, but written on your heart to remember, I am a God who delivers. And he said, you, you peeled back the waters. You comforted them by shade during the day and by a fire at night. Do you remember, Advent is the time to sit around with your beloved family and friends and remember and recount. Do you remember the times that you were just backed up, felt like to a sea that that there was nowhere to go, but God just seemed to make a way. Do you remember the times? Can you recount with specificity the times in your life that you felt like you were living in a season just scorched by the sun and God just offered shade? Or the times that you were in night and you didn't know what to do, but like a fire in the heavens, God illuminated, even if it was just what you should do for one more step. These things, when we diligently allow our, or allow our spirits to diligently search and remember, they remind us and they lead us to wonder. So how has God worked in your life? How is God working in your life? And how will God work in your life in the new year? These are the questions that we wrestle with. These are the questions that we wrap our hearts around to engage us in wonder the wonder of his birth, he's with us. The wonder of his words, he brings order to our chaos. And the wonder of his works, he intervenes on our behalf. Let's pray. Father, we come boldly to your throne of grace this morning. And how magnificent and amazing it is that you are a throne of grace. It says we can come to the throne of grace in our time of need. And no doubt, there are many, many different needs in this room. And no doubt, the holidays bring up many, many different things for us given our unique circumstances. God, I pray that we would all have the grace to not turn our needs to the wrong places or to the wrong people, to the wrong coping mechanisms, but that we would turn our need to you, the endless fountain of wisdom and grace 
that we would have our hearts wrapped again that you are with us that you are speaking to us and you are working our behalf Lord we open our hearts and now as we respond as we continue worshiping we continue singing of your faithfulness your power your beautiful name Lord would you do what no human can do that is Pele. That is outside of our human ability. Would you intervene? Would you strengthen us in our inner being like your word says you can? Would you give us wisdom, guidance? You are the wonderful counselor. 